Well, good morning. It is really good to see you all. Um, this is an amazing opportunity for two churches to come together and have a combined meeting. I really feel like um, it's part of, of God's intent for us as churches in Stellenbosch to um, work together. Because who knows, we, we're working towards the same thing, right? So um, it's a great opportunity for us. And I want to just thank um, the eldership of One Hope um, just to open the doors and say, yes, let's do this together, and then um, give me an opportunity to share. So really appreciate it. Thank you, Bates. Um, so I want to just speak this morning uh, about what I feel is needed as we approach um, Christmas. Um, we move into the season where it gets a little bit weird. We do stuff that we never do um, kind of through the year. We eat stuff that we don't normally eat, um, and it's just kind of a little bit wacky, um, and I think the, the happiness and the jolliness of Christmas can sometimes uh, detract from the reason for why we're celebrating Christmas. And that reason is that God has um, a desire to have us as his people, and there is a commissioning and a calling over our lives if we are followers of Christ. Um, and so you can't separate those two. You can't say, well, I'm going to take Emmanuel, God with us, but I'm not so sure I'm going to take Savior and Lord. Because Savior means he's actually come to rescue us, and Lord means he's our master. And there is something of his invitation that gets extended to us, um, and it's to all those who believe. So, yes, there's this great gift that we can celebrate over Christmas, but um, there is a great invitation, and, and I want to talk about that this morning. Um, I'm hoping that it'll be something that would remind, it would refresh, um, it would give all of us something to think about over the course of the season, that it's not just about eating more than we normally do. It's not just about wearing funny hats um, and opening crackers. And it's, there is something that God has for us. There is a glorious, abundant life that is bigger than ourselves that he's calling us to. And that's what I'm hoping to encourage you with, that you can, over the course of this holiday season, just think those things through and let your new year not just be um, resolutions to lose weight, although it might be necessary. Um, so I'm just going to scan through the book of Luke, just a couple of verses to um, convey what I'm hoping to um, say this morning. So in Luke 5, um, it's uh, verse 10, where uh, Peter is in the boat, um, and he has just caught this incredible um, number of fish because Jesus has told him to cast his nets, and um, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He realizes, actually, I have now, I've come face to face with God. And uh, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. What an amazing response. No thought given. It's just an immediate thing. We're going to leave our jobs. Like, this is our vocation. We fish for fish. Okay, we're leaving that now. We are going to fish for people. There's no thought to it. How compelling that call must have been. I love what Jesus says. From now on. From now on, things are not going to be the same. 
Because when you come face to face with Christ, everything changes. Radical change. It's only what we get from Scripture. I think part of the challenge in my own life is, how radical is this life? Is there from now on in my own life? Um, and as God's church, is this not the call that has been put over all of our lives? There is a from now on. Massive change. Three things that changes. Identity, intentionality, and destiny. Identity. We read how he says to him, Simon, but now I'm going to call you Peter. Gives him a new name. Just a mark of the fact that you're a new creation now. You belong to me. There is something that I have for you that is going to change your life so radically that I've got a name for you. And God is in the habit of doing that. We see it all through Scripture. Abram becomes Abraham. He calls Levi, but he says, you're going to be Matthew. King Solomon was his name and what his parents gave as his name. But God actually says, if you, if you read in Scripture, when he was born, he says, I'm going to call him Jedediah. He had a different name for him, beloved of the Lord. And in Revelation 2, you actually read that we all have a name that we don't know yet. But there's this identity that Jesus puts over us. He says, you're mine. You belong to me. You're no longer Simon. You're Peter. Intentionality, there's this incredible purpose. Leaving our nets, and off we go. We are now fishing for people. I, um, at the start of this year, watched a um, documentary on the life of Billy Graham. It was on Netflix. I'd highly recommend it. And he says, kind of repeating the words of Jesus in one of his sermons, just a little clip that they had, Follow me, come and change the world with me. The words of Jesus, like he paraphrases this call, and, and he can put it in that way because he's actually read the rest of the story. He knows what's going to happen with those disciples and the apostles. They're going to become gospel proclaimers, history makers, and kingdom advancers. And he says, follow me, come and change the world with me. What an invitation that we could live with something so much bigger than ourselves. And destiny. You see, when you live a life following Jesus and doing His work, you are doing things that carry eternal significance. Anything outside of that is just temporal. It's, it's maybe of value, but it is confined to this world. So the work of Jesus is what we actually want to give ourselves to. We want to say yes to this great invitation. It's an amazing call over our lives and to say yes to be obedient we always say we don't know who's waiting on the other side of our obedience but when you respond to God and you start to see God do things and bring healing bring people that are, who are broken and, and finding Jesus finding salvation their lives being changed then you realize man it's just because I had a simple response, one of obedience, one that said yes to the call of God. And I didn't even really do much. Like I followed him and then he did everything. But we get to follow him, right? So there's a story about the Chief Justice of New York. Um, 
who uh, responded to the call of God when Charles Finney was um, preaching. I'm just going to read this extract. It goes like this. Charles Finney, lawyer and evangelist, was speaking in a New York church in the 1830s. At the end of each evening, he gave the opportunity to come to the front of the room and commit their lives to Jesus. A great many lawyers came to hear him. One night, the Chief Justice of New York was sitting way up in the gallery. As he listened to Finney proclaiming the gospel, he became convinced it was true. Then this question came into his mind. Will you go forward like the other ordinary people? Something within him made him think that it would be inappropriate to do so because of his prestigious social position. He sat there pondering the choice he had to make. Then he thought, why not? I'm convinced of the truth. Why should I not do it like any other person? He got up from his seat in the gallery, went down the staircase, and came up the stairs at the back to where Finney was preaching. Finney, in the middle of his sermon, felt someone tugging at his jacket. He turned around. The chief justice said, Mr. Finney, if you call people forward, I will come. Finney stopped his talk and said, The chief justice says that if I call people forward, he will come. I ask you to come forward now. The Chief Justice went forward. Almost every lawyer in Rochester, New York, followed him. It is said that 100,000 people were converted in the next 12 months in that area. One person's yes affected the lives of numerous others. How often do we say no to that call because we think it might be inappropriate? Jesus will call us to things that would seem different to what's normal. But what if we say yes? What if the response is one of, let's just leave the nets and follow him because he is about a great work and he's inviting us to this. What could happen? Who's waiting on the other side of that obedience step? So the great invitation is just a few things that I want to uh, go through, if you can just put the, the list, there we go. So I'm going to just go through those points. It's helpful to know how we're progressing, because there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So, <laughs> so you can see how far we're tracking. I promise you, I don't want to keep you all day. Um, so firstly, it's, it's his work. I think too often we think Christianity is about getting Jesus to help us and bless us and bless the thing that we're doing. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about His work. We get to be on His page. So our prayer and what we are trusting for and when we come before God is that He would show us what it is that He's doing and that we get to be a part of that very work. You remember those um, bands and stickers that was WWJD, what would Jesus do? Some people might still have them, they're putting their hands behind their backs now. <laughs> but I think, I think it's been, um, I mean, it's great in terms of what it's trying to get across, is, you know, kind of let's live the life that matches our talk, you know, that, that the walk and the talk is the same thing, um, and, and that 
when we look at Jesus, he's this incredible example, and, um, and we get to live in a way where we take his example and live like him. But actually, he's so much more than just an example. And I think the right question is, question is what is Jesus doing? Not what, what would he do, that I can do what he would do. It's like, what is he doing? And, and let me get onto that page. What is he doing in this community? What is he doing with my neighbor? When, when we go to a restaurant or go grab a coffee, like there's a, a waiter or waitress, what is he doing in this person's life? What's your work here, Lord Jesus? It's your work. How, how do you want me to respond to that? How do you want me to live in a way where your work gets to be done? When we um, planted uh, cedars um, at the beginning of the year, we felt like God um, give us Ezekiel 17 as a promise over the church. And it's all about taking a tender sprig from an established cedar and planting it on a high and lofty mountain, which is obviously where the name cedars comes from. And um, the, the, the couple of verses, um, it's got language like this. I must, this is now God speaking, I myself will take a shoot. I will break off. I will plant it. And then it ends with, I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Like, there's nothing in there that would make me um, think that this is something that we're going to do. It, it's what he's going to do. He even says, I myself. <laughs> I've always looked at that. I myself. So in, in the build-up to um, us um, arriving and much excitement. We got a whole bunch of cedar trees. People just gave us cedar trees as gifts. It was glorious. <laughs> Ten in total. They're all dead now. <laughs> because I was tending after them. I would sing to them. I would water them. I, I can't remember what all I was doing, but I was obviously not doing the right thing because they're all dead. And, and I've left some of them just kind of um, in the back, you know, like every now and again I, I, I walk around there and, and I see these brown kind of weathered cedar trees. Um, it's just such an amazing symbolism though. <laughs> because if I do it, it is going to fail. So who's planting cedars? Jesus is. Who's establishing this church? Jesus is. Who's growing one hope? Jesus is. We don't. When we think that it's our work, we lose sight of what it is that God's actually doing. And we put ourselves in the center, and actually we need to take ourselves out of the center and allow Jesus to do what he wants to do. Because it's his work. The second thing is that it's a proclamation work. In Luke 4, Jesus um, goes into the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a, a quote, um, I'm told it's from 
St. Francis of Assisi, it goes like this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I don't think that's right. Just saying. I understand what it's meaning, like let, let your life be something of a testimony, but actually there's no proof that um, St. Francis actually said that. He, he was a guy who proclaimed the gospel. He went to parties and spoke to the elite and, the, and he stopped people on the road. In fact, if you, if you look at um, art and, and portrayals of St. Francis of Assisi is very often with birds. And legend has it, he would preach the gospel to the birds. Maybe we need to start doing that. That's completely in contradiction to what Bates was saying. That is weird. Um, we are normal. <laughs> but we preach the gospel to birds. But I love the idea, I mean, like, the idea of it is like, do we have language? Do we know what it means to actually proclaim something of the good news? Do we know what it sounds like to proclaim this new life that we have? Because that's what we've been called to do. And maybe we do need a little bit of practice. Maybe we need to start finding ways and language and articulating what is this glorious hope that we are living by. And it's actually not that hard. It's, it's a very simple message of very good news that changes lives. My one son was on um, the bus uh, kind of first term of this year, and one of the most popular guys in school came and sat next to him and started asking him questions. I believe your dad's a pastor. He's like, yeah, yeah. So I said, well, I try and be a good Christian, um, and uh, try and read my Bible, I try and pray, but actually I'm not really that good at it. Um, and our family doesn't quite go to church. And so he's relaying the story to me, and I'm like, so like, hey boy, what, what did you say? What was, what was your response? And he starts to share the beauty of a work that's already being done, and that Christianity is this relationship that God's made it possible for us to be in a relationship with him in and through the work of Jesus that's already done. Like, we don't have to do. We don't have to read our Bible. We get to. We don't have to go to church. It's good for us. It's good for us. We are part of the church. But it's not the thing that gets us saved. It's faith in Jesus. And so he proclaims this. I thought, man, I think he shared the gospel before I have in our very um, early days of being in Stellenbosch. But it was just a simple message, just a response. You see, that, that quote of, you know, if, if necessary, use words, what is he going to do in that situation? Look at my life. Look at me. That's, that's not going to help. He actually needs to proclaim. He needs to help. Because someone is thinking, Christianity is the following, and actually I want to proclaim what it really is. You see, you can't, you can't not proclaim. It's something that we are called to do. It's a proclamation work. We had the, the carols. There was also this beautiful joint effort of a couple of churches coming together at Rhenish. The day after that, Paul was telling me he met with a guy, mate of his, 
um, watching some soccer, and they just got talking about the carols evening, and, and he spoke about the message that was shared, and that like the first half was really cool, but then the second half it got a bit weird when that guy was talking about the fact that Jesus is the only way. That was me, by the way. Um, what, is, what is Paul going to do in that instance? Keep quiet? Or just look at my life, hopefully you'll be inspired? No, he needed to proclaim something. He, he needed to affirm the truth, that that's God's word, and his word is truth, and it's true for his own life. And it's what he believes. Just sowing seed, and it's glorious. In Acts um, verse five, sorry, chapter five, verse twenty, the angel appeals, appears to the apostles in prison, and he says, "This go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of this new life." I love that phrase, the full message of this new life. Yeah, I think often we get too caught up with what is God's call over my life. Like we want to analyze this thing. Like I want specifics and I want to know exactly what it is that God wants me to do. Actually, he's made it quite clear what it is that he wants you to do. Like that's the call over our lives. It finds its way in, in different um, kind of vocations and settings, but it all comes down to the same thing. It's a proclamation work. It's us proclaiming this incredible good news. The fullness of this message and this new life that we have in Jesus. And what whoever we're sharing with, that that person can also have. And you know, our responsibility is just to proclaim that. Our, our responsibility is not the person's response. That's not ours. That's God's. You see, when you, when you think it's up to you to get the person to respond, you get all weird. Because now there's pressure. Like We're not looking for decisions. We're looking for radical conversions. Like You can't do that. Only God can do that. So proclaim the full message of this new life and leave the rest to God. You see, that, that's where Jesus talks about the yoke being easy and the burden being light. Because he does the heavy work. We, we're, we're the smaller ox that comes alongside him. We don't even feel the yoke that's resting on his shoulders, and we just get to walk with him. But this is good news in our hearts, good news of our lives being changed, and we get opportunity to proclaim that, and that's all that God is asking us to do as he helps us navigate our way through life in whatever workspace we find ourselves, wherever we live, what our neighbors, the places we go to, the people we see, that's what we're called to. This is this incredible invitation that Jesus has put before us. Then it's a God-directed work. In Luke 11, Verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. See, prayer is an imperative. Jesus didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. And if Jesus prayed, how much more should we be? One of my favorite quotes is this. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. <laughs> I love it. But you know what I love more than the, co- the um, quote? Just to actually see it happen. I mean, it's not coincidence, just to make, be clear. But something of God's ability to just do the impossible in our lives and how he orchestrates things and, and puts detail that we would never, ever be able to do. And it flows from a place of prayer. When um, we started, we arrived in December this year, but we only started, our first meeting was on the 17th of February. But off the back of the promise, I was quite adamant that I wanted God to kind of direct our ways in all the details. So I haven't prayed about when are we going to start, Lord? When do you want us to start? And I was kind of thinking 1st of Feb, or whatever the first Sunday of Feb was, and I just didn't get a release on it. It was like, no. It was like, okay, let's push it out. Then you guys, the One Hope guys, had their 10th of Feb celebration. You remember that day? Balloons falling. Independent. New name. I felt like God say, just go and join them. It's like counter. It's like actually we've come to plant a church, but now actually we're gonna we're gonna go and, and join another church and we're gonna support them. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, brilliant. And we came and it was amazing. It's incredible to be a part of it. But that then translated to us starting on the 17th of Feb. And that was God's day that He had for us. And after the meeting, someone came to me and said, do you realize that we started on the 17th of Feb? I was like, yeah, I got that. This church plant is based on the promise of Ezekiel 17. You preached this morning from John 17. And we met in our lounge at 17 Barry Road. Coincidence? I think not. And you know what? Ever since then, God has used the number 17 to speak to me. Like, I'm, I'm just alert. Like, when I hear 17, and there's, I'm attentive. But you know, when you start to, to go to God and allow Him to direct your ways, all of a sudden, things start popping up, and you're like, what is going on here? Like, only God can orchestrate this. See, that's an adventurous life that we get to live in this God-directed way. And the whole of the Lord's Prayer is God-centered. Your name. Your kingdom, your will. Put yourself out of the center. Just allow him to be king in your life, Lord of your life. Then it's a costly yet rewarding work. In Luke 9, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. We hate this verse. And take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Deny yourself. 
we did a series this um, year called Cross-Examine, and I think one of the standout scriptures was Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, it's, it's not about you. We need to really get ourselves out of the center, off the throne. So there's two time frames that Jesus talks about here. He says, whoever loses their life for me will save it. Will save it, future. So there's a present, lose your life here, and you'll save it then. And those time frames are important because we want to live in the present, but we want to live for the future. Too many of us are living in and living for the present. But when you understand what God has in store for us, and that the temporal cost that we can carry here by denying ourselves and saying, well, ooh, I don't know, like God's prompting me in a certain way, that's going to be inappropriate. All that you're really wanting to save is your reputation, but, but if it's about denying yourself, well then, to heck with my reputation. Let that thing go. I'm just going to follow Him. If it looks weird to the world, well, what, what am I meant to do? I'm just going to follow Him. I'm responding to His call. I feel like I'm losing my mic here. There's a bigger story. And it's way bigger than this world is ever going to offer us. The story of a man called Robert A. Jeffrey. Got an image of him. If you can put that up, please. There we go. I'm going to read it. Robert A. Jeffrey was born in 1873 as the wealthy heir to the successful Toronto newspaper, The Globe and Mail. His father had great ambitions for him to become the CEO and owner of it. Robert sensed another calling. Looking past his family fortune and ample political connections, he sensed the calling to become a missionary. Against his father's deep opposition, Robert decided that his calling was to serve in China. As part of his preparation for this, he became fluent in Chinese. This skill had the Standard Oil Company of New York knocking at his door as they were seeking to set up an office in Hong Kong. In response to their offer of a huge salary, he said, No thank you. They later returned and doubled the salary offer, to which he again said, No thank you. Finally, they sent him a telegram with one sentence, Jeffrey at any cost. He replied with one line, Your salary is big. Your job is too small. This is way bigger than us. And the question is, are we going to settle for something that, that's just contained to our own lives? It's just about me, and it's just about my desires, and it's just about the job that I'm doing, and it's just about my calling and my work. Actually, no, it's about His work, and it's way bigger than you. That's what we want to put our hands to. That's what we want to give our hearts to. Certainly what I want. I want to lean into the reality of the work that Jesus is about. And what he is doing. But it does involve denying yourself. It's like Jeffrey had this realization. My ultimate job is way bigger than the job I have that brings the money home. 
It's like we've got a job that we do. We earn a salary, but there's a much bigger, the ultimate job, the calling over our lives. It's why we're still here. Otherwise, we would get saved and just like, track the beam, you know, just be pulled up to heaven. We're still here. Why are we still here? It's this great invitation over our lives. Okay, then the second last one. It's a work you were made for. See, in Luke 20, Jesus gets asked about um, taxes. They say, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He, Jesus, saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You realize what Jesus did there? He asks one question and gives them two answers. Because his question is, whose image and inscription are on it? That's his question. He gives two answers. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give back to God what is God's. So there's an implied question, and it's this. Whose image is on you? There's an image on this coin, but actually there is an image on you. You are God's. You've been bought with a price. And God has given us tremendous works that he has prepared for us. We read about it in Ephesians 2. Before we were even born, like he already had things prepared for us. It's his work. We get to get onto his page and allow him to do the miraculous where we, we as, as instruments in his hands just follow him. If you get to the end of the year and you're struggling from fatigue, it's probably because you weren't doing the work that he has for you. You were either doing other work or you were doing extra work. Because his word's consistent when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's kind of like a, an examination time. We get to ask some big questions about like, what was I putting my time to and my energy to? Why am I so tired? And actually, this time as we have, have a break, it's an opportunity for us to just get refreshed in how God wants to live our lives with this call, this great invitation over our lives, but giving ourselves to that and not to the things that just makes us tired, where there's absolutely no fruit and it's just temporal. The last thing is that it's a sure work. Jesus says this, you are my witnesses of these things in Luke 24. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In the Great Commission of Matthew 28, which is the equivalent of this, Jesus actually says, I'm with you always. He's with us. And His Spirit is in us. So we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we've been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, God is so faithful to his work, way more faithful than we are. 
So his work is going to happen. The question is, would we be the ones that gets used as instruments in his hands? Or would he establish that work in other ways or through others? But man, as an invitation of our lives, I don't want to miss that. I want to respond to this incredible invitation, knowing that he is committed to his work and he is faithful to his work. And whatever we're saying yes to, it will happen. It's a sure work. It's guaranteed. A mate of mine who lives in Canada, his name's Russell, went over there 10 plus years ago to help with a church plant. And when we planted um, the start of this year, he actually came and spent three months with us just to help us. But in the first season of being in Canada, that transition of having to move to a different country, finding um, a job, and just settling into a new way of living, and the cold and whatever else, and missing all his friends and missing what he knew in South Africa, he really had significant doubts. And he was missing what he had, and he was wondering with all the things that was happening and the fact that he was struggling to find work, is this like where he should be right now? Did he hear God right? And, and he had a moment where um, he was longing for South Africa and the church that he was a part of, and we were part of the same church. And he, he is a guy that just loves kids. And I, I, I think most people would say like their child was his favorite. Um, but for the sake of this morning and what I want to sh- share with you, our little daughter, Rosie, is definitely his favorite. And he even, in his prayer, through this navigating and, 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 and wrestling with the fact that he's now in this new country, helping with a church plant, and everything seems to be completely different to what he was expecting, he prays and, and speaks about the fact that all the blessings that he had, and people like Rosie, little kids that he had the benefit of being able to hold and... Um, Hug, and because in Canada you don't just hug kids, you, you, you'll, you'll go to court. So, all of these privileges have just been taken from him. So, if you can put that image up, that's Russell with my daughter Rosie when she was still a little baby. And he's praying, he's saying, God, I, I don't know if I've done the right thing, like, the, things are not what I was expecting. I need you to put faith in my heart. I need you to, to, to secure me in, in um, the fact that I should be here. And not too long after that prayer, there was a Sunday where they went to church and Russell saw a family walk in. It was a mother with, with kids. There wasn't a dad. And they had come from the Congo. And Next to the mom was a little girl. And he went and introduced himself. And that little girl, you can put the next image up, please. Looked quite a lot like my Rosie. Again, from the Congo in Canada. And she gives Russell this big hug. He asks her, what's your name? Guess what her name is? Rose. You see, because God is so committed to his work, 
that he will orchestrate whatever he needs to do to make us so sure of what it is that he has for us. He's committed to his work and he's committed to us. He is faithful and he is steadfast. When we say yes to him, we are in a safe place. Doesn't matter what it costs us. Doesn't matter how much we need to deny ourselves. But in a place where we can just say yes, and on the other side of that yes, on the other side of our obedience, we get to see the glorious, miraculous work of Jesus as he brings people to salvation. And I want to encourage you, may this festive time, as we celebrate Christmas, be a time where we actually lay hold of that beautiful, glorious truth. Yes, we've been given a great gift, and and that great gift is something that we get to receive, and in receiving that, we ourselves have this incredible salvation. And we can celebrate that, that God would come and dwell among us. But don't let it just stay there. Because this is the time where people who don't know him could have many questions. What if this Christmas you get to share the full message of this new life you have? A proclamation that gets to change the life of someone else. That's the call of God over our lives. That's the great invitation that we get to respond to. I'm going to ask for us to stand. We're going to take um, communion. So, when we um, partake of these emblems, what we're doing is we're remembering the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this morning what we've been covering is the fact that there is a finished work of Jesus, but there's also an unfinished work. Because after he died and rose again, he went to heaven. And from heaven, he intercedes on our behalf. And this glorious message that we get to now proclaim is his only plan. It's not like there's a plan B. His plan A is his only plan. And that's that the church would be proclaimers of this glorious truth. That's why we're here. But there's no greater motivation to respond to God in His unfinished work than actually embracing His finished work. In actual fact, Scripture says it. As long as the cross is set before us, we live our lives in this gospel expression. As soon as we look to anything else, we miss it. So we're going to partake of the, the bread and juice. But let's look to Jesus and let's look to the cross. Let's take in the fact that we have been made worthy by His work in our lives. And why don't you, while you're partaking, just pray that God does a work in your heart 
for the sake of you taking this message to those who don't know it, to those who are not living in the reality of it, who don't know Him.